Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 3 to begin with. Verse number 3 is where we're going to take off from as we're going to be studying concerning the kingdom of God. And we'll probably be looking at two or three messages concerning this particular subject as we continue on in our study of theology and what the Scripture teaches concerning these things. Uh, And here... There's the Lord in His preaching and in His teaching of His disciples, we find in the Gospels, He mentions several times He, he declares the kingdom of God and the, uh, the, the fact that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. And He's not talking about it's coming soon, but it's proximity to them, the fact that He was there. Uh, and so this... We see that phrase used quite often, in the, especially in the Gospels, concerning the kingdom of God. And so we're going to be looking at that uh, tonight as we consider the, and, and we're just going to be looking at a few verses to start with as we uh, consider what the kingdom of God is, some of the things that it is and some of the things that it isn't, uh, as people have interpreted it to be. Um, and it's... It's interesting that uh, in our world we, we, we know what the Scripture says concerning the kingdom of God. We know that that is uh, something that we are looking forward to when, when the time comes that we're going to be able to enter into that, enter, into that fully into the kingdom of God. Um, and, and what... And, and we'll be looking at some of those promises concerning the kingdom of God when, when it is in its fulfillment uh, in Christ Jesus and what the Scripture teaches us concerning that. And so though, that's something that, that is a hope for us. It's something that we're looking forward to. Uh, it's something that when we delve into it and begin to read the Scriptures and see these things that describe for us what the kingdom will be like in that eternal state, when we are in glorified bodies, in the presence of our Lord, no longer separated by this flesh, no longer uh, a part of this old sinful world, but now brought into that, that place of perfection in His presence. And we read these scriptures and see what the scripture says concerning that. It's exciting to the child of God. It's something exciting uh, to consider what that's going to be like. Um, that, that excitement, uh, that possibility, even that hope, uh, the interesting thing is it's not lost on the world. The, the world sees that as well. And they strangely have a wonder of that as well. They have a... Uh, uh, a dream of it at least. Maybe not a hope, but they at least have a dream of it. And there, it's, it's throughout uh, history that this, um, this has been a seeking of man. Uh, I think it goes back to Romans chapter 1 and what Paul said that they were, there was a time when they knew God. And they knew the promises of God, but as time went on, they forgot God. And in forgetting God, God turned them over to themselves, and wickedness has only increased since then. And so this, this, uh, 
the scriptures and the promises, the hope that we have there is lost on them. But that, that dream of what possibly could be is still lingering. And the reason we know that is because of what these guys have written throughout history concerning what they would hope to be an eternal age. Hesiod, he wrote concerning, he called it the, the lost golden age. He wanted, he was looking forward uh, to that lost golden age. Plato, he, he pictured the ideal state and the utopia. He wanted, he was hoping for a utopia. The, the problem is these guys are looking for these things, the utopia and the, the lost golden age. Uh, Virgil, he, he sang a song of one who would deliver the world from all ills. He had a song that he would sing about that. Um, this, this reality, this dream that man has and has had since ancient times concerning this future, concerning what, what could be, they, there is that dream of it. There is that uh, knowledge of what it could be. But the problem with man is man is trying to achieve it himself. He's trying to get there by his what? He's trying to get there by his thinking. He's trying to get there by his implication. What, whatever he needs to do to, to bring this to be. And so there's, there's whole philosophies that are born out of this trying to reach this utopia. This, this perfection of the world. Religions are founded in this, of trying to get to that place where we have this, this perfect world. And the problem is, we're not going to get there by man's working. We're not going to get there by, by man's philosophies. We're not going to get there by politics. We're not, we're not going to get to those places or get to that place by going through man's ideas of it. No matter how bad man may want it. No matter how many songs he may sing about it. We're not going to get there by that means. There's only one utopia. And that utopia is only found in Christ Jesus. There is only one kingdom of God, and it is only accomplished, it's only found, it's only worked in Christ Jesus. It has to come by Christ. There, there are the ideas that man has, even in regards to salvation, even in regards to eternal life, that he thinks that somehow he can get there his way. And so we have religions that are formed based on that as well. You have uh, uh, Buddhism, for instance, uh, Hinduism, uh, Taoism. Uh, all of these are, are trying to get to a place of oneness with not only creation, but oneness with a higher conscience. And uh, Buddhism particularly teaches the, the, that state of nirvana is the highest, highest place that they get to. And, and 
that is that complete oneness with the universe, that state of nirvana. And, they, and how they get there, they have to continue to live and, and achieve enough perfection, enough enlightenment, they call it, to get to that level. Well, the level right before nirvana is a cow. So as you are, are going through the process, you're going to, to uh, uh, be reincarnated and live several lives. It's been a while since I've studied, but I believe this, I believe seven is the most lives that anyone's supposed to get through before they're able to move on up. I think, and and based upon your life supposedly and how well you live it, will determine what you will be reincarnated into. And again, the highest level is a cow. So if you get your set, if you get a cow, because you're gonna. <laughs> Gary Carell's talking about it. I don't remember him talking about it or not. Gordon, he was talking about it. Uh, he was in India. And he was buying diamonds. And uh, he said that they were sitting at the Indian... Uh, and these guys were... These, these folks were Hindu. They, they also believe in reincarnation as well. I'm sorry, I was saying Buddhism for cow. It, it, uh, Hinduism is the cow. So I had it all backwards. But the, these folks were Hindu that, that he was uh, sitting at their house and and they were uh, eating there with the mine owner and this cockroach come crawling across the table. And um, Gary said, I didn't want to embarrass him. And see, so I thought I'd just kind of sweep it off the floor and stomp it without them noticing. And the mine owner's wife saw him sweep it off and saw what he was about to do. And she hollered, oh, no, no. And she ran over and got the, the cockroach and carried it to the window and let it out the window. And they went on to explain to him that that could be their uncle, Frank, that was doing a very good fellow, and he, he was reincarnated into a cockroach. <laughs> and so, so they, they, they didn't want to smash him, because he was hanging around their house, so it must have been kinfolk, you know, that's, that was their thinking. Um, this, this is what man, this is what man's philosophy's come up with, you see. They begin to think about a utopia. They begin to think about a golden age. They begin to think about God's kingdom and, and how they can achieve eternal life. That's what it comes out as. Uh, cockroaches and cows. Yeah. Idols made out of their man's image, made after four-footed beasts and creatures and worshiping those things. Jesus says here in John chapter 3, and verse number 3, as he is speaking here to Nicodemus, Nicodemus comes to him by night and, and is speaking to him concerning what he has seen of the Lord's ministry so far. And the Lord tells him there in verse number 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It is only, only, only in the new birth in Christ Jesus that man can see the kingdom of God. It is only in that that he has eternal life. You don't get it any other way. God is very exclusive in that and what he has declared to us in his word. There is not many ways 
Well, this is what's being taught by our society today. It's been taught for generations. There's all sorts of ways to get to God. We just have to try really hard and, and, and we'll do our best in our way and, and God will see our effort and in seeing our effort, He will accept our way. No, that's not the case at all. He's very clear in regards to this. Jesus is very clear in regards to this. He, he declares Himself, He is the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, he says. He's, he's very pointed in that description. And so what we find, it is only Christ that gets us eternal life. It is only Christ Jesus that brings us into the kingdom of God. We don't get in any other way. Nobody gets in any other way. You have to come by Christ. You have to have the Lord Jesus. And so this is the reality. And he says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Look with me back to Isaiah chapter 2. We find here in these prophecies concerning the kingdom of God, uh, these, these ideas of the wonder of this time frame. And particularly, uh, what Isaiah is, um, is in reference to when he is giving these prophecies concerning the kingdom of God, he's talking about in the, the full revelation of that kingdom when Christ Jesus comes to take his throne. And that's, that's what he is in reference to in these particular prophecies in which he's giving these, these wonderful statements about what it's going to be like. Okay, and this, this is one of those here in, in uh, uh, Isaiah chapter number 2, verse number 4. He says, And he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. In His kingdom, it's going to begin with warfare, and He's going to end it with the, the sword out of His mouth and fire from heaven. He's going to end that war at the very beginning of Him taking His kingdom and then it's going to be this. It's going to be a, a kingdom of total peace in the presence of our Lord. They'll learn war, but neither shall they learn war anymore. Chapter 11 of Isaiah, verse number 6. Now, that being said, we also know that at the end of the millennial reign, the end of the thousand year reign of our Lord, as, as Revelation chapter 20 tells us, Revelation 19 and Revelation 20, we, we understand that at the end of that millennial reign, there's going to be another war that's going to be stirred up by Satan. He'll be loosed for a little season. And in that loosing, he's going to go teach war again for, for a short while. 
And there will be another war that God will end it all at that point. Revelation, I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 11, verse number 6, he describes this. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. We were just talking about that before the church. Um, the coyotes and the foxes don't dwell with the chickens right now, for sure. <laughs> or they do. It's just not very good for the chicken when they, when they get done dwelling with them. Uh, but there's a time coming. There's a time coming during this fulfillment of the kingdom of our Lord when the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together and a little child shall lead them. Uh, it'll be our pets that we can lead around out there. These lions and leopards and tigers and so on. This, these, this is one of those examples of what these days will be. Peace and safety and security that's found in the presence of our Lord. In this promised happy future kingdom uh, in its fulfillment. Now, by the way, the kingdom's going on now. Uh, and we'll get into that in just a moment. But it's just not in its full revelation to us at this point. It's not physical for us. Our Lord is not taking His throne yet on this earth. He will. There's a time coming that He will do that. That's what Revelation 19 clearly declares to us. Zechariah chapter 13 will tell us that as well. If you go over and read in Zechariah chapter 13. And so this, this is coming. This, is, this reality will be Psalms chapter 2, by the way, also tells us that as well. And so this, this is a reality uh, that is coming, uh, yet future, when all of these things, when the effects of our Lord's reign will take place that we find promised here. In uh, Matthew chapter 4, go over and look with me. As the Lord comes uh, on the scene here, He is beginning His ministry, and He makes that this statement here, um, this is after his baptism. This is after his 40 days in the wilderness here uh, where he was tempted by Satan. He comes out uh, from the wilderness. And it says there in verse 17, And from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. He announces, he begins his ministry announcing the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of Christ. These all three, by the way, are the same. And we'll look at that as we go along, look at some of the verses that tell us this. There are those that try to divide that. They'll try to divide the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of Christ and make them three different things. They're not. It's the same. It's just it's titled differently throughout the Scripture, but it's the exact same kingdom. The exact same thing. Uh, it just it's just worded different. In fact, and well, we'll we'll get to that shortly. There are scriptures that even put them together for us, so we'll know that they are indeed the same. So he comes announcing this kingdom, Christ teaching uh, in his ministry was to show men how they might enter that kingdom of God. 
in chapter 5 of Matthew, verse number 20. Matthew 5, verse 20. He said, For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, the what was the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees? It was self-righteousness, is what that was. That's the only righteousness man can get on his own, is self-righteousness. And self-righteousness does not get you eternal life. Self-righteousness is all the more wickedness before God. The very best we can do. Isaiah says that in Isaiah 64, verse number 6. All of our righteousnesses, he says, are as filthy rags before God. Self-righteousness is worthless. Self-righteousness does not get you eternal life. Self-righteousness is a hated thing of our God. Because it denies Him, you see. And Jesus said, except your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees and scribes, then you're not going to get the kingdom of God. Well, how does it exceed? How can our righteousness then exceed self-righteousness? It has to come from God. It has to come from Him. And that is only accomplished in Christ Jesus. In His death, burial, and resurrection for us, he gives, he took upon himself, or I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 5, verse number 21 tells us, he took upon himself our sins, was made sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He took our sin, gave to us his righteousness. And the righteousness he earned was not self-righteousness. It was righteousness. That's what he, he earned it for us by fulfilling the law of God. He's the only one that can have self-righteousness. I don't, I don't even like using that term. But he's the only one that can have it, you see, because he's the only one that can get it, truly. It is his righteousness that is given unto us. And so it is, that is the only way our righteousness can exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Notice in chapter 7, Matthew 7, verse number 21, this passage here to me is one of the saddest passages in the Scripture. Chapter 7, verse 21, down through verse number 23. Um, this is folks that will come before Christ at the judgment and truly have been fooled in themselves. Have ever how that came about? Whether they were simply lying to themselves, whether they were simply hoping in religion, hoping in tradition, whatever the case was, they, they, they had a belief that they were okay before God. And they were not. They did not have Christ. And he warns them here in this passage, verse 21. He says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. 
Just because they call Him Lord. Just because they say He's Savior. Just because they say He's King. Does not mean they're one of His. And so that means, that, that tells us we need to check ourselves. Paul said, examine your faith. Or examine yourself, rather. Determine whether you're up here in the faith. We have, we have to examine ourselves. Because not everyone that saith unto him, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Obedience, obedience bears out that we are the children of God. Our obedience to Him, our desire to do His will, our desire to be found faithful to our Lord's commands proves out that we indeed are the children of God. If we're running from His direction, if we are running from His commands, if we are seeking to somehow subvert what He has declared for us to do and to be obedient to, we need to check ourselves. Where am I? Then, before God, do I truly have Him? Am I truly born again? He that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me, he said, in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. They'll say, look, but, but, but look what we've done. Look, Lord, I've I've done this work for you. I've done this work for you. I've done this. I've cast out devils in your name. I've done these miraculous works in your many wonderful works in your name. I've I've prophesied. I've done these things for you. Look at what I've done. Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. And listen to what he says, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. What does that tell us? Based on Isaiah 64, 6, that tells us that the works that they were performing, the works that they were hoping in, the works that they were pointing to, were works of self-righteousness. They were not works of Christ. They were not by His power. They were not by His Spirit. They were not by His leading. It was by them working to try to prove themselves to God. To make themselves feel better about who they were. And their works that they claimed to be doing in His name, He declared them iniquity. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. These are folks that are coming in to that are coming into the judgment wondering, why am I here at the great white throne judgment? What happened? Why, why, am, I not, why am I not being crowned here? Why, 
Why is it that I'm not receiving reward here? Why is it that I have I've been brought up to this place in this time? I, I know what the Scripture says about this. I know that this is the judgment. I know this, this is where, where our, our punishment is being brought. What, wait a minute, Lord. You don't, don't you know who I am? Don't you see what I've done? Don't you remember all my works that I've performed? In your name. Then I will profess, he says, that I never knew you. I never knew. That's a horribly, horribly sad, horribly sad passage of Scripture. Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Paul says there in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse number 5. Examine yourself. We need to make sure our hope is not in what I've done or what you've done or what we worked or what, what, what we claim for ourselves, but that our hope is in Christ Jesus alone. Because that's the only place righteousness is at. Only place righteousness that that's the only entrance into the kingdom of God is Jesus. You must, you must, you must be born again. You must be born again. You must have Christ. There's no other way. There's no other way into the kingdom of God. And so... He warns us here. He warns those folks even there. But just because you say, Lord, Lord. Just because you say, look what I've done for my Lord. Look what I've done for God. I don't mean anything. If it's not in Christ. You must be in Christ Jesus. Christ His works were to prove the kingdom of God had come upon them at that time when He was here on the earth during His ministry. Notice in in chapter 12 of Matthew, verse number 28. Matthew chapter 12, verse number 28. I've only got a page and a half of notes, but I'm not getting very far. (laughs) So, I'll try to get through this first point anyway. And this first point is, it is a hope that we have as the children of God. Matthew chapter 12, verse number 28. He says, but if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Well, how did he cast out those devils that he cast out? By the power of God. That's how he did that. He says if he, if he was doing that at that time, if he cast those, those devils out by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God had come unto them. And he's speaking there of himself being in their presence. He's, he's declaring to the Messiah, has come. 
And many didn't want to hear it. Many didn't want to believe it. But this is his declaration to them. We see in chapter 13, as he begins with his parables here, and he's teaching them these many parables, he says in verse number 11 of this passage, his purpose of telling them these parables was to illustrate mysteries of the kingdom. It says in verse 11, he answered and said unto them, verse 11, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. So he was telling them these parables. His disciples were understanding what he was telling to them, and the rest of the crowd wasn't understanding what he was telling to them, and they were trying to figure this out. Hey, why is it that, that we understand it and these other guys don't? Because it was meant for you to understand it. That comes by the Spirit of God. He's the one who makes it known to, makes the Word of God known to us. He is the one that declares the truth to us. And so it was proof. It was proof to them that they were indeed in the kingdom of heaven because the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven were being opened to them by the Lord Jesus as He taught them His Word. Jesus taught His disciples to pray even for the kingdom to come. Matthew chapter number 6, verse number 10. Uh, they, they asked Him to teach them to pray. And He tells them here in Matthew 6, this is during the Sermon on the Mount, He declares this, this prayer. Now this is not the Lord's prayer. It's often called that, but it's not the Lord's prayer. It is the model prayer. He's teaching us how to pray here in this passage. You hear people call it all the time, well, let's say the Lord's Prayer, and they'll quote this passage. That's not the Lord. The Lord's Prayer is John 17. That's the Lord's. That's one of the Lord's Prayers. If you want to go read John 17, that's how He prays. He's teaching us here how to pray. And so this is the model prayer. And He says, after this manner, therefore, verse 9, after this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. In earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the power, thine is the kingdom rather, and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thy kingdom come. That's, he says that's what we're to pray. We're to pray for his kingdom to come. And it has come in one sense, in a spiritual sense, it's already come. But we're to pray for the full realization of it, the fullness of it that we enter into in body form as our Lord has taken His throne. We're to pray, Thy kingdom, Thy kingdom come. Before His death, he assured His disciples, over here in Luke chapter 22, He assured His disciples He would share with them in the kingdom of God. Luke 22, verse 22 through verse number 30. Luke 22, verse 
22 down through verse number 30. We'll begin, read, start there in verse 21. Uh, he says, But behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table, speaking of Judas. He says, And truly the Son of Man goeth as it was determined, but woe unto that man by whom he is betrayed. And they begin to inquire among themselves which of them it was that should do this thing. And there was also strife among them which of them would be accounted the greatest. <laughs> Ain't that how we work? The Lord's talking about someone betraying Him. They start talking among themselves, which one of us is it? Which one of us is going to betray the Lord? Which one of us would do such a heinous, awful thing? And while they were questioning each other about which one could possibly be the betrayer, they began to brag about how great they were. Well, it can't be me. I'm the best one out of the bunch of us. No, you're not. I'm better than you are. Look at all these things I've done. And they start arguing. It turns in. They begin by asking which one of us is going to do this horrible act to the Lord that we're going to betray Him. And it turns into which one is the greatest among His disciples. And they miss it right in their presence as the Lord tells Judas, go and do what you need to do. And Judas gets up and departs. They're still arguing about which one's the best one. And miss what the Lord is telling miss what He's declaring to them, even in their presence. And He said unto them, verse number 25, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. But ye shall not be so. But he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger. And he that is chief, is he that doth serve. For whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat, or he that serveth? Is not he that sitteth at meat, but I am among you, is he that serveth? Jesus said they, they had the idea that it's in the, the praise, it's in the law, it's in the honor, it's, it's being there with, where, where, where things are being brought. You're sitting at meat with the, the, the big wigs. You're there in their presence. And Jesus says, no, it's, it's the one who's serving. It's the one that's doing. It's the one that's working for others, even. That is the greatest in my kingdom. Verse 28, he says, Ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations. And I appoint unto you a kingdom, as my Father hath appointed unto me, that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Oh, there's grace. Listen to that. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is after His disciples 
were just arguing which one was the best out of all of them. And the Lord says, ain't got nothing to do with that. Ain't got nothing to do with you. I'm the one giving you the kingdom. I'm the one that's going to give you the place there. And yes, you'll be there with me. You'll enjoy the benefits of this kingdom. You'll get to sit and meet with me there in the kingdom. You'll be judging even the twelve tribes of Israel, he tells them there. But it won't be because of them, you see. It's because of Him. It's because of Christ Jesus. Jesus promised to return in glory to bring the kingdom to those whom He has prepared it for. John 14, He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto Myself, that where I am there ye may be also. He's promised He's going away. He's preparing us a place. Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. We read here the judgment of the nations as it declares to us after immediately following the tribulation of those days will be the judgment of the nations when our Lord will divide those nations, the sheep on His right hand, the goats on His left. And those of His that are on His, the sheep that are on His right hand will be brought into His kingdom. It says in verse 31 of Matthew 25, it says, When the Son of Man shall come in His glory... And all the holy angels with Him. Then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory. That's not happened yet. It's going to. It's going to. And before Him shall be gathered all nations. And He shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divided His sheep from the goats. Now understand, it won't be... Him saying, this nation is mine and this one's not mine. What he's saying here, he's going to bring all the nations together and he's going to take his people out of each of those nations. He's going to separate those that are out of, from among those nations, he's going to separate his people out. You see. And so he says he's going, he's going to set them out and he says, verse uh, number 33, and he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungered. And you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Remember, he says, "Those that serve—it's going to be proven out in their work." Naked, you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, "Lord." 
When saw we thee and hungered and fed thee or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? When did we do that? We didn't see you, Lord, in, in those situations. We didn't do that for you. And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. I love that principle. I love that principle. That our Lord, our Lord, reckons Himself with us individually. That it's it's not only His righteousness that is in us, it's His life that's in us. He loves us. He loves us so much that He doesn't separate us from Himself. To the point that even when Paul, Saul, was going to persecute those in Damascus and he was on the road carrying those arrest warrants to go and get those Christians in Damascus and the Lord stops him there on the road in Acts chapter 9 with that light from heaven and says, Saul, Saul, what does he, what does he go on to say? Why persecutest thou me? Paul wasn't persecuting Jesus physically, but he was persecuting his people. And persecuting his people was persecuting Jesus, you see. And he looks at it both ways. The negative, he's one with us. And the positive, he's one with us. Wondrous. Wondrous grace of our Lord. Such wonderful love He has for us that we do not deserve. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called sons of God. He says, when you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. Oh, what a hope. What a hope we have in the kingdom of our God. It's coming. Oh, it's coming. And it will be exactly as He declares it will be. It's coming. Let's all stand. We'll be dismissed. Sunday. I'll try to finish up this, these particular thoughts. I said it might be 
about three messages. It might be more than that. I've got three. I think I've got three messages written out, um, but it might take me two times each one. I don't know. Be in prayer for service on Sunday. Remember those we have on our prayer list. Be faithful. Remember each one of them. And Lord willing, we'll see each one Sunday morning, if not before then. All right. Joshua Aaron, would you dismiss us? Yeah.